Super Talk Mississippi media production. Fordofcorinth.com is having a 2023 inventory blowout sale. Check out all of last year's models in the lot, which must be moved. Bring your enthusiasm and your down payment. Let our team of finance professionals remove the test so you can just drive off our lot. Fordofcorinth.com. What is up on a Monday? I am Brian Scott Riffey, my co-conspirator. As always, is Michael Borky. We appreciate you hanging out with us on this Monday, April 27th edition of the Rebel Report podcast. Another draft-centric show today, I would imagine. Hope everyone had a uh, good weekend. I really didn't do anything. I played nine holes of golf by myself on Saturday and then really just didn't do a whole lot on Sunday and then watched the uh, next two episodes of The Last Dance Sunday night, but a lot of stuff to get into today. Oh, have six old Miss players signed undrafted free agent contracts with NFL teams. Zero of them were selected in the seven rounds of the NFL draft. Uh, we'll get to that. Probably a couple other draft-related things just in general. What's up? Not a whole lot, man. Just uh, draft came and went pretty quickly. So much happened. Like, I'm sitting down trying to, to put together just like a... It, it, a timeline or or just a, a bullet point list of things that we need to touch on the radio show today. I don't know where to begin. I mean, there, there are so many layers to this unique draft that I, I don't know how I'm going to remember it all to be able to write it down so we can talk about it. From ESPN's just bizarre desire to tell you the worst thing that's ever happened to these kids the day they get drafted. I mean, there was one point where... Uh, one of the players that got picked broke his leg and like two years ago. And they showed the play where he broke his leg in the highlight package. Like, I mean, come on now. And then they talked about T. Higgins' mom, who who sadly and heroically now uh, has, has overcome it, but was an addict for 16 years. Those are the kind of things you don't need to put on television. And it was on his graphic the day he gets drafted. That was crazy. And then... The Saints signing Jameis after trading up to get Tommy Stevens, and then the Packers not signing a receiver at all, and the Vikings picking 20 dudes, it felt like. I think 14 total, by the way. Uh, draft picks for Minnesota. Uh, just so much to get to. I'm overwhelmed right now. Yeah, and then you've got the whole J- uh, the Saints uh, just locally. You didn't even hit much of that as you had the Jameis thing and the uh, Taysom Hill contract. So a lot going on, a lot of movement yeah, in the NFL. I, yeah, dude, I was talking to my my roommates made the same comment about the whole like you know personal struggle story uh, that ESPN was putting out there for pretty much everyone they could get their hands on. I think they just ask all of them. And I just I wonder, like I was trying to, I guess, and I'm just guessing here where that can't, comes from. But I'm assuming, particularly in the early rounds, when you don't have the theater of the live interview of like the, him on stage with the hat and the theatrics of all that, you have to kind of kill time and space with something. And some of them were kind of interesting. Like some of them were like, not uh, say some of them, they were all, I guess, significant stories, but some of them were actually like, you know, uh, I guess noteworthy. And like, you could see why they shared it. And then it just started seeming more and more. They got into it. They just seemed to reach a lot of more dudes, but I imagine that's just kind of a filling time and space type of thing. Yeah, and I did see some people suggest that that was the NFL trying to make themselves look like they're these kids' hero, and that's just trying to to be outraged about something. The way I see it is they were trying to endear you to them. They were trying to make you like them even more. Like Cesar Ruiz, for example, being a a Saints fan, after they picked him and told the story about how he's, he's lived his life to try to honor his dad who was who passed away when he was eight because he was helping somebody on the side of the road change a tire and was struck and hit by another car. And ever since then, he's lived his life to try to honor his dad. And so that makes you like him even more. Seeing him and the emotions of that moment and what he's overcome makes you like him even more. So maybe that was the motivation behind it, but they kind of took it too far in some cases. I mean, we don't need to know that T. Higgins' mom was a drug addict for 16 years. We don't need to know that. Yeah, I just some summer stretch, and I agree. But I think, yeah, just kind of a time killing time, killing airwaves type of thing. Um, I don't I want it to be that way again. I've seen a lot of people say that, oh, the draft should be like this every year. It was a no, really well done thing. 
And credit to Goodell, he was kind of funny, man. I mean, just like changing clothes and getting more casual and more casual. And he went from sitting up like in his little um, his high top chair to like going to his recliner and like loosening up his shirt. Like as it was going on, his mannerisms were reflecting like how tired he was and like that jar of M&Ms just kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller, stuff like that. Like he humanized himself for the first time. Yeah, he. Uh, I, I imagine some of that was just natural exhaustion uh, to a point because that. I mean, that is kind of a difficult and like at least like I imagine when he's doing that on stage in front of all those people, there's at least like an adrenaline rush of being in front of folks. When you're doing that for three days in your own living room, I imagine one, you keep you can your your give a shit meter just continues to deteriorate, and two, some of it was just probably some natural exhaustion. But I agree, he looked more personal than he has in the past. I. Uh, I guess starting on the home front from an Ole Miss perspective out of Oxford, the big story of the weekend was Ole Miss did not have a single player drafted. You had six guys now, I guess. Uh, this morning, Austrian Robinson signed an undrafted free agent deal with the Carolina Panthers, and so that brings the total up to six. You had five guys sign right after the draft. You had Scotty Phillips go to Houston. You had Benito Jones, who was probably to me the shocker. Like the if you're like if you were asking me who is one guy that I thought would get drafted, and I would have actually put a decent amount of money on him getting drafted that did not. Uh, he's definitely the one. So he goes to the Dolphins. Let's see, who else am I missing here? I just had it written down. Oh, Miles Hartsfield also goes to the Panthers, Jalen Julius to the Kansas City Chiefs. And Josiah Cotney signed with the Steelers. So, I mean, look, undrafted free agent deal is always a long shot. Uh, I just out of out of these six dudes, give me two. Give me two most likely to make a roster. I think one of them is pretty obvious. Yeah, it's Benito. It, it, I, I was shocked, just like you were, uh, that he did not get picked by somebody. Um, I just blown away. So I, I have a feeling he's going to make the roster in Miami. He's good enough to play in the NFL for sure. And I think Scotty Phillips as well. And just running back is not a position that people are spending a, a lot of time drafting. Uh, I mean, as you've seen, it, people get criticized for taking running backs, elite running backs in the first round. So somebody like him who's, I mean, he was a good SEC back, a, a one-cut runner for sure. But He's good when healthy. He needs to stay right. healthy. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised, though, if he made a roster in Houston. He's good enough uh, to be on an NFL roster. Definitely not a feature back, and his durability is a question, especially at that position. But I think he's good enough. He showed flashes of a guy that can be a contributor in the NFL, especially if he uh, takes well to special teams. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. Those were the two I would have picked also. Maybe Josiah Cotney. I don't necessarily see it with Julius and Hartsfield. Those two kind of had their moments, but just not, I don't know. I mean, they, one of they weren't well seen. coached, but they weren't athletic enough to cover college receivers. They, they can't cover receivers in the NFL. And then Julius had an injury, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I just, I don't see it with either one of those. So I would go Scotty Phillips and Benito as well. But if Josiah Cotney with the Steelers kind of hung around on the interior defensive line for a while, yeah. like the, the odds of two or three of these guys making a roster out of the six are not very good. But like, I'm just trying to give you kind of a blueprint, I guess. The best uh, odds, as we both mentioned, are, are Benito. I'm, I'm shocked that he didn't get taken. Yeah, I was pretty surprised as well. But Cody was a pretty productive lineman. I think he only missed one start in the three seasons he played in Oxford. Uh, he was, I think, 174 total career tackles, 15 and a half for loss. I uh, had 46 as senior, started all 12 games. Like, durable, whatever. I just, I don't, I mean, I'm not going to pretend to be a scout and know enough about the ins and outs of playing interior defensive line in the NFL to know whether he's got a shot. But that wouldn't stun me. I just I don't see the two cover guys, the two guys in the secondary making it. Maybe I'm totally wrong, but the two I would pick, like you, were uh, would both be Phillips and um, and Benito Jones. So, what are your thoughts on them getting blanked? In the yeah, so that's that's been kind of a contentious topic. I don't like one. Like I saw like the the I mean, not that the Matt Luke point isn't valid, but this is a Hugh Freeze class. It is. It is. And, There's and a it lot was, of layers to it. Yeah, and like, I mean, how many of these kids? How many of these kids are blue chip? Were blue chip prospects coming out of high school? 
How many of Temple's but, four draftees were blue chip prospects coming out of high school? That's fair. That's that's also fair. But honestly, Temple has been a little bit more of a staple, consistent program than Ole Miss has the last. What about four or five Charlotte's years. two players? Were they blue chip or Florida Internationals two or hell Arkansas's two? I mean, so there's a lot of layers to it. I think it's definitely not exclusively the fault of Matt Luke, as you said. It's Hugh Freeze's class. But when you have an SEC West program, regardless of who recruited them or anything, when you have Washburn getting players drafted and Lenore Ryan, whatever that may be, uh, getting players drafted, Tulane having multiple, Tulsa having multiple, Louisiana Tech having multiple, Florida International having multiple, and three years in a program, zero draft picks is an indictment on the program. As an SEC team... When you're the only one out of 14 that doesn't have a single player selected, that is an indictment on your program. And when you compound that with every other factor, which was why a change needed to be made, that's just another example of a program that was horribly flawed. And Keith Carter was absolutely justified, as 99% of people would agree with this. He made the right move. And this is just another example among many examples of something wrong within that program. An SEC team not producing a single draft pick, regardless of who recruited the class or not, is an indictment on the program. Now, Benito Jones should have been drafted. It's mystifying that he wasn't, but he wasn't. And that's a direct reflection on the program itself. Yeah, but I guess the not even really a counter, but if you're trying to actually figure out how this happened, like, I, obviously, Matt Luke deserves some blame here. I mean, I've been kind of on the record the whole time saying that he, you know, the change was needed. I get it. You know, in a vacuum, should he have probably gotten another year? Maybe, but I 100% understand why he did not and why that didn't happen. But, so the way I look at it is, one, from the time this class stepped on campus on, they were the worst, like one of, if not the worst defenses, particularly 16 and 18 in college football. Two of the worst I've ever actually laid eyes on in person like, just awful. I mean, 16, but towards the end of the year, was so bad. 17 wasn't a ton better, although those dudes played really hard, and they still had a little bit of talent. And then 18 was just absolutely atrocious how bad those defenses were. So when you're among the worst defenses in college football, and it, particularly in a year like this, in 19, when your best offensive players are all teenagers, like, it did, it did like it's not really shocking to me. Like no, it's not surprising. And when you're but when your best when your best like when your best bet on uh, as an off to have an offensive player drafted in a certain class is a running back who had injury issues and like you know at the most devalued offensive position there like probably there is like out of all eleven spots, it's not necessarily surprising. So like I don't know. I think it was just kind of a perfect storm of kind of the class they had. But just I was just I was like like I wasn't necessarily disagreeing in the sense that how like disagreeing whose fault it was or Matt Luke's fault and asking how many of these kids were blue chip prospects. But it is worth noting the class is stunk. Like Benito Jones, blue chip prospect. The rest of them, eh, kind not really. I mean, so the, well, this the cl- was the 2016 class, right? Yeah, class is stunk for a reason, and I guess anyone that would have come out early if you count the 17 class, which that didn't happen. Well, a, a lot of guys left, and you also had uh, DK and um, and AJ leave. But the 2016 class, um, the guys that were seniors now were seventh in the country. Now, a few of them left. Shea Patterson left, and he was. Terrible, didn't get drafted. Greg Little left, DK Metcalf left. If you want to blame Hugh Freeze for Shea Patterson not getting drafted, I'm all for that as well. Yeah, well, see, I don't think it's Hugh Freeze's fault. I think it's he's not that good. Um, it just, he, he <laughs> never developed joking, himself. Uh, I mean, we'll get to that in a second. Continue, sure. though. Okay. Um, Justin Connor, um, did he ever even play at Ole Miss? Uh, Four star kid? Justin Connor. Yeah, yeah, that name doesn't maybe qualify. never even I showed don't up. I even remember camp. that name. Again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, he was. A four I don't star know who that is. Um, Benito Jones, four star. Chuck Wiley, four star. Devon Penniman, injuries, not anybody's fault. Bryce Matthews, four star. Jalen Jones, four star. Trey Nixon transferred. AJ Brown left early. Deontay Anderson transferred. I mean, you've got guys on here that the class didn't really survive. Um, 
That's crazy. I mean, it was the number seven class in the country. This is the senior year of the number seven class in the country. And not, and of course, there are circumstances like the NCAA and transfers. Not a single senior from this class was drafted number seven in the country. So this kid basically immediately went to East Mississippi Community College. Yeah, I was no. just curious after you said Justin Connor. Not that that matters at all, but no, I I agree. I There's just, layers to it. It's not it's not one or the other. It is it's no, certainly nuanced. Yeah, I just I, like one. They had a real like one. They had a really young football team this year. Like all of their best players, essentially, you know, aside from Benito and maybe one or two upperclassmen on the offensive line, whatever, were were babies and you know two the recruiting class sucked and so like yeah they weren't gonna have a good it didn't year suck. Draft, it was like, seventh how, in the okay. country so so it was seventh in the country yeah i guess i'm i guess i'm thinking of it on like in terms of how it ended up like the kids yeah. left from that class that were on the team this past year so that, like that coupled with the fact like how differently is this perceived if benito someone takes a flyer on benito jones in the fifth, and Scotty Phillips is taken in the seventh. That way you can just say you have two guys drafted. To me, that's really not much better. It's not much better, but at least somebody in the National Football League thought that you had a player that was good enough to basically be guaranteed a roster spot. Well, fifth round is kind of wishy-washy. Sixth and seventh, you're not guaranteed anything. But it matters. It means something. And it's going to be used against them. And luckily for Ole Miss, they did make a change. So you can't have, I mean, Arkansas and Auburn and Mississippi State who had five guys selected again. Mississippi State. I think that's the the biggest indictment on Ole Miss in this case is Mississippi State also had turnover. They had a coach leave. They had another one get fired after two years. They got decimated in the draft last year. They weren't any good this year. Still had five players get picked. Yeah, I mean, it's bad. Like, there's really no sugarcoating right. it. I just, like... And it's going to be used against them in recruiting, and luckily they they don't have to really deal with that as much. They can explain it away. That was the previous staff. Lane Kiffin has a history of putting guys in the NFL at everywhere he's gone. Florida Atlantic had a guy drafted this year. That's Lane Kiffin's program. I mean, they, they will be able to combat that, but if they didn't make a change... That's where I'm coming at it with this. Not so much as, I mean, yeah, this is bad. It's, an, it's a really bad look. I mean, you just, you can't have this. It's inexcusable for an SEC team, especially in the West, to not have players get picked. Like, you're not winning shit if that's your program. It, it's not happening. Well, but That's why they didn't win anything. Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, so I'm coming at this from a, could you imagine if a change wasn't made? what it would be like right now for Ole Miss football on top of the, the no-fan support, the no-wins, a bunch of dudes were about to transfer, a, a lot of them. I mean, most of them were already in the portal, but more were coming. And then the coronavirus hits, and then you don't get any players drafted. Like, just a, another, add another thing to the list of just stuff that is going wrong. What could you have possibly sold starting today when the you're the season ticket the the Jerry and Ely, the John Rice Palmer. I mean, hell, that's what they were that selling wasn't last work. year while they stuck. I'm not saying it will work, but you're asking me what they were going to sell. That's 100% yeah. what they were going to sell. We were a young football team. We were really close. Got some playmakers on offense. Young. Well, the thing was, they might have actually had a little something to sell if they hadn't botched the whole quarterback thing so badly. If they had found a quarterback last year, whoever it was, I'm not going to get into the Plumlee Corral thing this year, but yeah. just whoever it was, one of them, and you had that, or maybe just, I mean, hell, if you could have used Plumlee as a Taysom Hill, you know, package guy, and you between he and Ely and Moore and Corral and you scored a bunch of points, you could sell that. Like, look, hey, we're yeah. really young. Because they did, they were, in, like, to some degree, at least perception-wise, improved on the defensive side. So, like, that's what they would have sold or at least tried to sell. And it honestly, if they, if like, because to be completely honest, like we talk about it, like it was such a foregone conclusion. Now, if the if the last nine minutes of the Egg Bowl hadn't just concluded in the most bizarre fashion, this is probably what you're talking about. Like, the, the, there probably there may not have been a change. So, 
Like, I mean, hell, what happens if they win the Egg Bowl that night? And, like, they win it in overtime, and Elijah Moore doesn't do the, like, dog piss thing? Like, this is what the selling point is, and this is what you're talking about. And, yeah. You know, Remember, they don't score that, that touchdown stat. if it wasn't for some fluky fourth and 24 throw the ball up in the air. And, you know, I mean, that, that game wasn't really a one-point game if not for some just miraculous, like, heave that didn't make any sense. They were embarrassing that night. They, they were awful. Yeah, and uh, State really was as well. But, like, yeah, no, I agree. Man, neither I mean, team that, was good. <laughs> that fourth Which down is, was, wasn't a play. It was Corral being like, I don't really – like, when Corral said that on radio after, he's like, I don't care what the coach is called. Go do this. And it works. <laughs> but, I mean, geez, that's just uh, – Wow. Uh, but no, yeah, I, I'm so, with you. And it's, I, I was a little strong on Twitter and I pissed off some people and, uh, and it just, it cracked me up, but I, I'm surprised there are more. It's, it's a very vocal, small percent, I think, but I, I thought that was going to be a universal thought that thank God for Ole Miss that they made a change because, um, imagine the situ the, the fan base's Thoughts about their football program right now and their feelings towards it right now if a change hadn't been made. I mean, everybody around the SEC and stuff is poking fun at Ole Miss today, but at least it's different, you know? I mean, could you imagine if this happened? That's what I keep going back to. If this happened and there wasn't a change made, I don't know if they would have been able to financially recover from not making a change compound with coronavirus. I think it would have been over. Uh, Ole Miss football for years would have been damaged irreparably. Worse than the NCAA. The coronavirus in this is worse, would have been worse than the NCAA. Because it would have taken years and years to recover and maybe not ever with, I mean, God knows what money and attendance trends are going to be after this thing. At least they've got something to sell. And it, it John Rice Plumley was not putting butts in the seats. It just wasn't going to happen. Because he was the only thing that was positive last year. He and Ely both. But that's not enough. And I saw another, like, I got sent this a couple of times over the weekend. But Nate Gabe Gabler wrote a column. Uh, he's now, which congrats to him, took Sports Illustrated job, was the guy at Oxford Eagle. Good guy, know him. Uh, but I haven't read his story. But it was I, the, the headline was about Ole Miss having a perception problem in NFL in NFL buildings. I, I don't I think that's maybe a, and again I I shouldn't speak on this without actually reading it and just reading the headline because people that do that piss me off to no end. But just based on that general premise, that may be a little strong. But he, he might be onto something in the sense that like that program endured so much turmoil from post Sugar Bowl on until I mean hell it really just kind of felt like until the dog pit the second dog piss like. Just, I just wonder if the general haze of all the turmoil and the sanctions and them having crappy recruiting classes uh, kind of uh, not scared evaluators away, but maybe kind of clouded things a little bit. Just like the general haze of all the chaos in the program, I wonder if that worked to these kids' detriments more so than just like because I mean, I mean, in a way, it is, I guess, kind of a perception thing. It's probably, I mean, it's temporary, but I just wonder if that there's some actual truth to that. Yeah, and so so I read it, and, and I I don't want to use this platform to speak negatively about other people's and, and their work because I know how hard it is, and, and I know I, I do bad work all the time. Uh, but the premise was Ole Miss players aren't getting drafted as high as projected, and it didn't really go anywhere with that premise. It also said that Scotty Phillips was projected to be a third-round pick, and, and I just, where was he projected to be a third-round pick? I mean, where was Josiah Cotney projected to be a fourth-round pick? I, I, if you find the link and send it to me, I'd be happy to read it. I didn't see that anywhere. That was not an expectation that I was aware of at all. I mean, the coaching turnover wasn't talked about, really. Um, the NCAA stuff wasn't mentioned, really. And, and I didn't on Twitter or on the Sunday show, really, because this was a, the number seven class in the country. But still, it didn't mention that. It didn't mention lack of player development, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, from the coaching staff that had been there for the last three years. Um, it didn't really mention any of that. It just operated on a premise and didn't exactly back it up. I think, I don't know, it, it should have been 
more thorough. This because story the, the, aside, I just wonder if there's some truth to that to the premise, whether he kind of you know followed through with it or not. I mean, I mean, there's a reason that they didn't they didn't have a single player get drafted this year. There is a reason for that. Yeah. So that uh, that was. But kind also of last year, I mean, shit. They uh, look at what AJ Brown and DK Metcalf just did. You know, you know. Uh, Anyway, um, I don't know. It's it's a difficult conversation to really put a finger on, but there is a reason they didn't have a single player drafted this year. There, there absolutely is a reason, but I think it can be more. It's more micro instead of macro to me. Let's take a break real quick and remind you: podcast brought to you by LB's University Avenue, across from Kroger, LB's Meat Market, the absolute best place in Mississippi to get meat. Local businesses need you now more than ever. Go see Greg; he's been great to us. He's been great to this show. He's absolutely the best place to go get a steak, go get any cut of meat you want in Mississippi. He's got grill packs, sausages. The ribeye sausage is one of the finer things in life. Keith Carter special, Lane Train special. Saw Keith Carter getting gas yesterday. Wonder, he was right by LB's, too. Wonder if he stopped in and got his own special, a little bacon wrap filet. But uh, uh, he's got uh, crab stuff, mushrooms. Greg's got some ground beef and ready-made to-go dishes if you want to throw something uh, in the oven and feed you, your family, large, uh, you know, large-ish group of people uh, without having to go through the hassle of cooking. But Greg's got it all going on over there. Uh, hopefully we can get back to normal soon, but no better way to support local businesses. And go see Greg, throw something on the grill, and enjoy the beautiful weather like we had a little bit Saturday around Oxford. It was a little cold and windy, but yesterday was immaculate. I, uh, I would have grilled yesterday if I weren't just a lazy sack of shit and did nothing all day and watched television. But Anyway, go see Greg, University Avenue, across from Kroger. Just kind of wrapping that up, one last, I guess, encompassing thought on the whole not having any players drafted thing. As much as everyone talked about in the weekend, I still viewed it from the lens of that's now in the rear view. Like, because when you talk about if there not had been a change here, then this probably would have dragged out and probably been a little bit more of a significant story. But the fact that a change was made and, you know, that's that like, it finally feels like they have turned the page on that. And obviously having a new coaching staff will do that. But even with the way that story was talked about over the weekend by media around here and elsewhere argued, whatever the hell you want to call it. It, I mean, it was, it was, to me, it was viewed by most in a past tense context because they do finally feel like they're turning the page as a program and have finally gotten past this. And I just, it goes back to what we've, we've all talked about at nauseum, just a collective, we, of anyone who covers Ole Miss or is interested in the program, whatever. There was just such a small chance that Matt Luke was ever going to turn that page for Ole Miss and get them out of that. Like, it was always going to be seen as NCAA wreckage unless he won at a level that really just wasn't fair to ask him to try to do. And so, you know, they make the change. It happens. He deserves some credit for kind of steering the program. Uh, I say steering the pro. That's such a cliche, and no one actually knows what it means. He deserves credit for not like publicly embarrassing the program or just, I mean, aside from that night in Starkville, which was really out of his control, but also a product of a lack of discipline. I thought for the most part, he did a decent job kind of at least just keeping morale as best he could. I mean, I just think back to that 2017 season and no one really could have done in terms of positive morale what he did. So he deserves some credit for that change is made point being, it's just kind of all looked at in the rear view now and i think that is important to note yeah um and that's kind of the point i guess i was trying to make is uh, i mean this is why keith had to make a change so you can put this the whole thing in the rear view mirror Uh, that's uh, i guess that was the uh, you you summed it up in a sentence better than i could on an entire show yesterday uh that is uh, that's the point is they are now able to move on Everything NCAA related in the residual effects of the Hugh Freeze, whatever you want to call it, at Ole Miss is now gone forever uh, with the the turning over of Matt Luke and and Hugh Freeze's final recruiting class being gone. Uh, They can actually move forward now. And to your point, again, it's it bears repeating. Yeah, the program didn't tank and it didn't embarrass itself, uh, which uh, for the previous couple of years, that's all it did. And. Yeah, and Ole Miss won a Sugar Bowl, and that's great. Like, congrats to them. But the things that followed that Sugar Bowl win in that program under Hugh Freeze was just simply one embarrassing story after another. 
That's all it was. The the final year of his tenure was just nothing but national embarrassment uh, for for Ole Miss in that football program. They're still having a hard time overcoming it. I mean, Reddit is still making Ole Miss pays players jokes. I saw uh, Reddit College Football, the the main Twitter account, uh, had a meme that said, uh, due to coronavirus, uh, Ole Miss players are taking a 10% pay cut. And that comes after we found out that LSU, for example, used a hospital charity to funnel money from boosters to recruits and their families instead of, I don't know, kids with cancer. But Ole Miss is still getting the joke. And that all goes back on that time. And they, they still have to fight it. But at least now, to your point, and the point I was trying to make uh, and failed doing so well enough, is all that's finally over. Good on Keith for for ending it when it needed to be ended so they can pick up and move on and not have any of that following them around anymore. Do they ever finally get stability, though? Because if you really want to take this, and like I don't want to get too far in the weeds on this, but if you really want to go up to the you know NASA space station and take that view of Ole Miss's program, after David Cutcliffe, the, the one thing this place has lacked is, is consistency. I mean, Orgeron, awful. First two years of nut, great. They go to back-to-back cotton bowls, people are jacked up. Then it just completely free falls. Then, I mean, you kind of had all that wrapped up into one in Hugh Freeze, even though to his credit, what, he lasted five years? And then you have Matt Luke, and it kind of craters after that. And then now you have Lane Kiffin. Like, are we going to be talking about this again in five years? Like, are they going to have three winning seasons, get in trouble? And then, like, what's going to happen next? Are you, like, when are you going to, I don't even know what I'm trying to say here. Let's put it this way. No, are no, they going to have a coach, coach here for more than six years? Well, even <laughs> not, if they don't. Not just it, completely fall off the cliff. Right. That, that's, I mean, that's the point. It's not the, the longevity. It's just what happens. But if you remember, uh, I mean, Obviously, at the time, Ed Orgeron was a terrible hire. Like that, that was a bad hire, objectively bad. Not a good hire. Houston Nut, Arkansas people wanted him gone. He lost four games with Felix Jones and Derek Darren McFadden. Lost four games with that backfield. I mean, it's not like he was a great hire either in his first two years. There was also okay. some off the field stuff with Nut exactly. as to why he had to go. So on the surface, that that wasn't it. At the time, I don't know how it was viewed because I was not in Mississippi yet, but if you look at Houston Nutt in Arkansas, when you hired that coach, you should have known that inconsistency was coming. That was his M.O. at Arkansas, and that's what happened at Ole Miss. Uh, Hugh Freeze, at the time, and nobody knew who he was, so it wasn't a good or bad hire. It was, a, a, I guess, you know, we'll wait and see kind of deal. Who would have known that he would have been some kind of uh, like wannabe preacher that treated everybody behind the scenes like garbage and then would incite an NCAA investigation. I mean, who does that? And Ole Miss The word you're to, looking I, for is sociopath, but right, anyway, continue. There we go. I mean, who does that? But they, Ole Miss happened to hire the, the guy that does. And they probably, in hindsight, should have uh, let him go sooner. There were other opportunities to do it, and they knew that some things – uh, behind the scenes weren't as they seemed, and they had some opportunities that they probably should have taken in hindsight. But they didn't, and I understand why. And then for some reason, the chancellor of the university, who nobody likes, who everybody's trying to force out, thinks he's going to earn favor with a handful of local people by forcing the athletic director, who had a whole bunch of problems himself, to hire the interim coach that showed you in his one year that he is not fit to be a head coach to earn local favor and craters the program. It's just been a serious... And then, of course, the athletic director gives him a ridiculous contract with no mitigation language and then up and leaves for a better job. Somehow, some way, got, got hired at a better place. It's mind-blowing, but it happened. And now Ole Miss has to spend $160,000 a month for the next few years, even during coronavirus, on a football coach they should have never hired in the first place, that 99% of the people affiliated with the program, either fans, boosters, or media covering it, knew was going to be a bad decision. But one chancellor who had no business meddling in athletics tried to save his job by doing it, and it ended up being a failure. Everybody saw that coming. At, at some point, 
Ole Miss needed to get out of its own way, and it feels like Keith Carter understands that, right? I mean, it, it's early in his tenure, but he has did a lot of things well. And he hired a football coach that has a past of his own, but you know this is somebody that can actually win consistently, or at least that he has the best chance of the last four guys, himself included, that you've hired. You know that this at least has a chance to have sustainable success because he did it at Florida Atlantic, a a mid-major, won games there for three years. He learned under Nick Saban. He's been in the NFL. He's been at major college programs. He's failed at major college programs. He's won championships. He he ran a program of his own, won football games. This is, on paper, the best hire that they've made since 2004. So maybe this one will finally work out. It's not been... See, you have national people that think that Ole Miss doesn't win because of Ole Miss and who the school is. That you have people that think now, especially that Ed Orgeron just needed to be at a better job to win. And that's just false. It's not true. You can win at Ole Miss, but you have to make competent hires and manage the the athletic department well. And they failed to do that for 17 years. And maybe finally they've got the right people in place to do it. I guess only time will tell. I get the other story from the weekend. I don't know if you want to broach this or not, but I saw uh, the whole Leo Lewis, uh, Dan Mullen, Hugh Freeze thing. Kind of really, like if you're talking yeah. about the crux of this entire uh, saga that now seems to, I do agree that this whole like them graduating uh, brought some finality to it uh, as much as people want to debate that or not. But I, I saw that was stirred up by, by, by Neil McCready over the weekend. Though I think he had a point. What's always lost in the Leo Lewis thing amongst the whole like tribalism between the two fan bases of Ole Miss and state and each side arguing that, yeah, he got paid by them. No, he got paid by them. All that kind of just bullshit is that the poor kid just got absolutely used by a bunch of adults and is, and that was what no one could like, that was kind of the, the, the point or the, uh, the direction of the story that Stephen Godfrey's uh, both written piece and the documentary was, what's it, what is it called? I don't want to sell him short on this. What do you remember the name of it? Uh, Oh man. The name of what? His video, his documentary. Um, Something paid in Mississippi. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm completely butchering this. Go watch it. It's on Vox, I think, or something. Like that point being, he did a really good job on it. But because Godfrey graduated from the University of Mississippi, uh, the whole tri- egg bowl tribalism thing really just kind of undermined the fact that, uh, like, the whole point of his thing was not that Leo Lewis like caused all of this. It's hey, a bunch of adults didn't act like adults and really gave this kid a raw deal, and he kind of paid the price for it. And I agree. I think that is a hundred percent true. Yeah, I um, I got ripped uh, a few years ago for saying that I felt bad uh, for Leo Lewis on the radio. I, I said I felt bad for him because if I was hell when I was seventeen, eighteen years old, there's no way I would have been able to handle three different places and boosters and stuff when and i i didn't grow up rich by any means but i didn't have a father in prison and worry about where my next meal was coming from i was lucky enough to not have that situation he unfortunately did not grow up in that kind of environment his dad was in prison um I could not imagine how I would have handled all of these people pulling me in all of these directions and throwing money at me and manipulating me i I felt bad for him because I would not have been able to handle that. I, I couldn't imagine what it was like. For I him. would have had a hard time handling that at 22, and he was doing most of this at 17. Right. And then you get the NCAA involved, and they're telling you that football, the one thing that's going to save your life, we're, we're hanging your eligibility over your head unless you tell us everything and implicate this school. No, no, no. Don't tell us about LSU or, or Mississippi State. No, no. We don't care about that. Just tell us about Ole Miss or else you can't play. Not to mention it happened because of the coaxing of his head coach, too. That's an important piece. Right. So people that 
that celebrated in his failure. I understand why. And like, for example, I think it's funny that Shea Patterson didn't get drafted, mostly because of his father, not because of the kid. I don't think the kid wanted to leave Ole Miss. I think he saw the writing on the wall that Jordan Tomu was a better quarterback, and that kind of made that decision for him. I think he liked Ole Miss. In fact, when he came back after he transferred to go to a wedding or something, he liked it there. He wanted to be there. Just saw the writing on the wall. I don't blame Shea Patterson for what went down. I blame his father, and I blame Hugh Freeze. Same thing with Leo Lewis. I think if you're going to celebrate in his failure, that's you should put, maybe check yourself because Dan Mullen is the enemy here. Hugh Freeze did him wrong. The NCAA did him wrong. Everybody acting in this did him wrong first and made him act in ways that you don't know if you would have handled differently if you were in his situation. That's all I'm saying. If you want to hate him and celebrate that he didn't get drafted, go for it. Just there are worse people in this situation than him. I promise you that. Yep. So who would have thought we'd be talking about Leo Lewis in the 2019 2019 NFL or excuse me, 2020 NFL draft. Uh, that stuff seems like a, a decade ago in its own right uh, nowadays. But anyway, outside of this whole uh, kind of the local uh, coverage, um, really nationally, those are I don't, like what else jumped out from day two and day three of the NFL draft. The uh, New England Patriots did not take a quarterback. Something Bill Belichick said was not by design, uh, which I'm not necessarily sure how that works because he had plenty of chances in the later rounds to at least take a flyer on a quarterback and uh, did not do so. And then really uh, the kind of, you know, I I'm, I'm feel like I keep talking out of both sides of my mouth here, but I feel like the information has changed enough uh, that I don't feel like I'm being hypocritical. You know, on on Friday in our radio show, the draft winners and losers, I had Aaron, I had the Packers as a winner just because if you believe uh, that a quarterback is your guy, and particularly the way they do things, if you draft up, if you trade up and you go get him, I at least stay on brand and be bold. And I didn't really have a problem with that. But then they went the rest of the draft without drafting a wide receiver. And while I wouldn't say I'm on team Aaron Rodgers here, that doesn't make any sense. I don't understand what they were doing. They were a win away from the Super Bowl a year ago. They need receivers, and now they're making this like direction shift as a as a franchise to like a run oriented team that's like now preparing for the long term. I don't understand. You have him for three years. Like to me, they could have done both. If you like help him in the third, fourth, second, third, and fourth rounds, whatever picks you have to get receivers and other skill positions. Even if you like Jordan Love and you want to set that, I guess plant that foundation long term. But the way they behave after that really kind of made my point moot. Like, I, I don't understand what they did. Yeah, Jeff Schwartz uh, wrote a really good thing I saw earlier uh, just about how Aaron Rodgers should be angry because it, – it, and it's not a wrong strategy, it, building for the future. I mean, teams have done it before, and maybe they are just fixated on Jordan Love and when uh, Rodgers' contract runs out, he's the next guy up, and they have a young roster and, and ready for him to win. But in the meantime – Rodgers should be pissed because they are not actively trying to win for him this season. And you had other teams in the NFL draft trying to win for their veteran quarterbacks this season. And the Packers didn't do that. And Rodgers has every right to be mad about that. Yeah, the Saints are doing that for a guy that's 40. Is Brees 40 yet? I think he'll be 41 when the season starts. Hold on. Yeah, let me exactly. See. And Rodgers has probably, I mean, four or five good years left in him at 36. I, I, yeah, I don't Yeah, he's that. 41. Yeah, he turned 41 in January. Yeah, so I had them as a winner on the radio show on Friday, but they really kind of just, they as like they just really kind of screwed that whole point up because I don't understand what they did after that. Uh, the Carolina Panthers going all defensive players is kind of funny. I don't really know if that means anything or what to make of it, but having all of your draft picks be defensive players is kind of hilarious. Yeah, that is something, isn't it? Um, I really liked their draft, though. I mean, it's going to take them some time. They are definitely the worst roster in their division right now, but they were awful defensively last year. I know you didn't watch many Panthers games because, I mean, why would you want to torture yourself? They were atrocious on that side of the ball last year. I mean, just abysmal. Uh, college teams would have been able to score at least a little bit on that defense. That's how bad they were. So they needed help there far worse than they did on the offensive side of the ball, I think. Uh, anything Although they're else, trying to trade Curtis Samuel, I think. Yeah, and then 
I was just kind of jumping around here, but like you had the Eagles take a flyer on Jalen Hurts, which I found was interesting. Fromm goes to the Bills. Eason goes to the Colts. Like there's some kind of high profile high school to co- like college quarterbacks that didn't really project that great as professional quarterbacks that got take like had flyers taken on him in the second and third days. I don't know which one I like more than the other. Uh, Easton at least kind of looks like an NFL quarterback. Yeah, and I said this on the Sunday show. Uh, Jake Fromm got drafted uh, into a position that he belongs in. I've never watched him play. I don't know where this idea it, like it was it was it Barrett Salee? I don't know. You had some people that covered the SEC that were like, "Oh, the Bills just got a future veteran quarterback and what a steal and all this stuff. What are you watching when you watch Jake Fromm play? Because it's not accuracy. It's not athleticism. It's not arm strength. What do you see when you watch Jake Fromm play that tells you he's going to be successful in the NFL? I think he got drafted to be exactly what his future is in football, which is a good one, by the way. I'd take it, but it's a backup quarterback, journeyman in the NFL, a la Chase Daniel. He's Chase Daniel to me. He was a good college player, not good enough to be a starter in the NFL, but he's a good enough kid to make $3 million a year and hold a clipboard and play in four preseason games. And he's going to do that in Buffalo. He's going to be Josh Allen's backup, and if Allen gets hurt, he's going to come in and probably not screw it up, but he's not a starting quarterback in the NFL unless somebody gets hurt in front of him. I think that draft makes so much sense, and for some reason people around here don't. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't necessarily get the Fromm thing either. But there was also the narrative when he was a freshman, when Georgia went on that national title run, that he couldn't throw. And I didn't really understand that one either. I was like, no, this kid's fine. But like, I think that's yeah. a perfect way to describe him is he's fine. Not terrible, not great. Um, but yeah, outside of that, the uh, the Eagles thing is interesting because like... Jake Fromm completed... Uh, so he's a career 63% passer. He was 67 his junior year or sophomore year and 60% completions this past year. Like you said, that's fine, but that's all that is. The Eagles thing in Jalen Hurts is interesting because that was a, was that a second or a third round pick? I know it was Friday night, but I can't remember. Um, Second. Yeah, I believe so. So that's interesting because are you really counting on that to be your backup for Carson Wentz? Like if, because kid that's, I mean, Wentz has his own injury history. Like, is Jalen Hurts really going to go into the like go into a game next year one snap away from replacing Carson Wentz? Because to me, you would try to use him for other things and have another capable backup. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Like, I just that's a really high pick to spend on Jalen Hurts, and like, I don't know exact without knowing exactly what they want to do with him. I'm gonna. I'm not saying it's bad. Like, they may end up being geniuses. I'm just intrigued as like how they're going to use him and what the actual purpose of that pick was. Just as on the surface, I have a hard time believing that he goes in there as the QB number two uh, next fall. Not saying he won't make the roster and play in like packages and stuff, but are you really counting on him when Wentz inevitably gets hurt? Yeah, see, and that's why, for example, that's why the Saints uh, picked up Jameis Winston. So they can continue to use Taysom Hill in the role that that he's in, where he can play tight end and play running back and play wide receiver and uh, be on special teams. If Breeze gets hurt, just like last year, uh, they can use him and continue to use him in that role and still have relative competence at quarterback. Using him in that Taysom Hill role while also being the backup quarterback doesn't make sense. Because as you said, Wentz is one hit away from being out, and now if you're letting your backup play wide receiver, so is he. Yeah, so I'm, I'm interested. I don't know. I'm kind of interested to see what they actually do with that. Their backup last year were retired. Like, Josh McCown finally got to play in a playoff game. It was a pretty good story. He played the second half hurt, um, but he, he was a jillion years old. He's definitely retiring. He basically had to be coaxed out of retirement last year. So I'll be interested to see what they do with that. Was there anything else that really stood out, like draft pick wise, like real wild card that I missed? I I, did, I wasn't, admittedly, I wasn't uh, really that locked into day three. I watched most all of day two, but like I'm just making sure I didn't really miss much with that. I don't think there was any like overarching storyline. Uh, Shea Patterson not drafted. That I mean, all like ha ha ha, like jokes aside, thing that that really didn't shock me that much. No, I, the amount of videos, especially after the Saints drafted a Michigan offensive lineman 
when they're showing these highlight packages, Rippy, uh, and this kid's a senior quarterback too. That kid that, that got picked in the second round, they, that one of the dudes on TV made a note that uh, that uh, that Shea Patterson hurt the kid's draft stock. Was the kid? Well, you know, who I'm talking about his name is. Uh, escaping me i can't remember if it was a running back or receiver it was a receiver i forget his name too yeah that's brutal um and i should know this too because i used to i used to know his name rc this is a good pod here no but that's just like like to have a a draft guy on ESPN. Uh, donovan peoples jones yeah just openly be like yeah his college quarterback like hurt his draft stock that's a that's a tough pill to that's a tough pill to swallow there Man, but so they're showing these highlight packages of the Michigan offensive line with Cesar Ruiz playing center, and the number of times that they showed a highlight of a perfectly clean pocket that was bailed out of for no reason. It's like every highlight. So if you're afraid of the pocket in college, imagine what an NFL pocket, which is much dirtier than the ones that he obviously saw in college. I mean, imagine. Uh, what that would be like. He has no shot. And it's it's not because of talent. It's um, his something between the ears uh, causes him to bail from pockets early, rush throws. Uh, he's not exactly accurate either, but uh, there's just no shot. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he's in Canada playing next year. Uh, th- that's that's his ceiling, man. I don't think he's not good enough to be a backup in the NFL. Yeah, he just, I mean, it's just, I mean, you see this happen with kids every single year, uh, whether it's quarterback or other positions. Kids just don't pan out. Like, a lot of the times, the best, you know, whatever at 18, with quarterback running back by rivals two or seven, just doesn't, I mean, they're not always the best at 2021. It just doesn't work out, particularly with quarterbacks, I would say. Um, all right, here's a joke that no one's ever made before, but has anyone checked Sean Patterson's Facebook? <laughs> see, his dad is such a clown. That's that's why I feel bad for this kid too. Um, I went back and, and retweeted an old um, Michigan article. I think it was the Detroit Free Press um, that when he when he signed and officially announced his transfer to Michigan. Yeah, here's the headline: 2018 is championship or bust for Michigan. Now that Shea Patterson is eligible, I mean the, the pressure that was put on him that, that wasn't fair. But compound that with his dad being an absolute clown. I kind of feel bad for the kid. Yeah, I mean that was the storyline. Though, it was like Harbaugh's kindly got his quarterback, and I'm like, I was, I, I, I was like, I can't be the only one sitting over here thinking this marriage doesn't make a ton of sense. But whatever. Um, I think that was about it from the draft. It was a uh, wild success for the NFL. I think what 55 million viewers. Uh, I know you were saying you saw some people saying they'd like that every year. No thanks, but mad nope. props to ESPN. Uh, NFL uh, NFL Network, everyone involved for putting that thing on because they made the best of a really, really crappy and just really kind of impossible uh, situation. So good on them. Uh, Elsewhere, not a whole lot happening in the sports world. I know you haven't watched it yet, but I watched the next two episodes of the Last Chance uh, Michael Jordan Chicago Bulls documentary. And uh, as we kind of speculated on last week, this really, like, the premise is, I think this is in, in Jordan's entire career and how the Bulls came to be and just the footage of the last season kind of being the basis of it. Because they went back, it was the Dennis Rodman episode, they went back into Phil Jackson's roots, and then a lot of this episode was how Michael couldn't get past the Pistons and the Pistons basically just beat him up. But really, just, I mean, I can't say anything that no one else has already said, but really just kind of fantastic stuff. It, it was great. I thought it was awesome. Um, it's interesting because we just got that bad boy Pistons documentary not too long ago. So like they redid a lot. It was two different documentaries. So I understand why they did this, but like there wasn't a lot left about Rodman that I didn't already know because of the first Pistons documentary, if that makes sense. So there wasn't a whole lot new there, but, uh, seeing the other perspective, because like I always found those Pistons teams fascinating because the NBA's whole plan and they outlined this last night was like, they wanted the torch from you know from it to go to Magic, I mean from Bird to Magic to Jordan, and for these two to I mean, two championships, but four seasons, this really just kind of punk ass team in Detroit really kind of screwed up those plans, and so they were just kind of a thorn in everyone's side. And it's interesting that Rodman was on those teams, and then eventually joins Jordan for the latter half of his thing. But found all that interesting. Uh, Phil Jackson is an interesting, interesting guy. 
But uh, I don't know. There's not a whole lot else I can say about it. I don't want to like ruin it for anyone who hasn't seen it. But uh, another solid, solid two episodes. I, I enjoyed the hell out of it. That uh, that's uh, you know, it's it's the second week in a row where you've watched two hours of television and, and it's felt like it barely like like time barely passed by. And I think that's probably a good gauge of how quality something is. I uh, I found that to be another quick couple hours of television. But I would definitely recommend watching that this week. I'm going to, and I'm really looking forward to the Jordan versus LeBron uh, debates that will follow as well. Oh, uh, you're getting that. I was, uh, I had undisputed on on the radio. I, uh, my Wi-Fi was messing up here, so I went over to another house to uh, to do the Zoom meeting we had, which is why we're a little late recording today. But I had I had undisputed on just because it was on Fox Sports Radio from the last time I listened to XM, and it was uh, Skip and Shannon just peaking uh, with. <laughs> Some Jordan, some Jordan LeBron content, just saving the world from a shortage of that. But I don't know. Good couple hours of television. I would, uh, I would strongly recommend watching it. I don't think there was really much else sports story wise. Uh, the NFL. Uh, like, the- we, we had a beacon of hope uh, with the NBA. Uh, Woj reported last night that they're going to allow teams uh, f- to open their facilities in states that are kind of, you know quote-unquote, reopening the country, reopening their state, laxing their uh, social distancing guidelines or shutdown or whatever. You know, a place that's not a hotbed, they're going to start allowing them to open up facilities, which uh, I think attached to the report was obviously does not mean return, like return to action is imminent, but it is a good sign. Yeah, you're seeing that in golf too. There's some kind of event this weekend. It's not PGA Tour, but they are the, – the tour is going to be looking at it closely apparently – uh, to to make sure that logistically they're they're going to be able to pull it off when they start here uh, in a month and a half or so, right? In that like seven weeks, six weeks away from the PJ Tour starting back up, I believe so. There's an event this weekend. It's it's not a. I'll tell you what it is. I saved the link uh, for for show purposes. Um, it's an event in the Dallas area. Uh, Victor Hovland, Tony Romo uh, are in the field. It is the Merido Samaritan, Samaritan Fund Invitational, and it will start on Tuesday. It's got Victor Hovland, Harry is Higgs, like Scotty Scheffler. Two-day two day charity type events? I, I believe so. The event will play, take place at Merido Golf Club in Carrollton, Texas, where a number of pros are currently members. Um, Jordan Spieth thought about it, but did not, uh, did not play. There is that a purse for winners, but it's a fundraiser for the club's full-time caddies who have been out of work because of the coronavirus pandemic. It'll be divided in flights, yada, yada, yada. But, um, yeah, so there are some PGA Tour players and Tony Romo, for some reason, uh, playing in a small fundraiser, 54-hole fundraiser event uh, this weekend. And apparently... Uh, the tournament organizers will be on a conference call on Monday to discuss uh, everything. And so they're going to be uh, monitoring it closely to see how it works and how the players feel about it and, and stuff like that. So it's a charity thing, but with some implications because of who's playing in it and what they're going to learn from it. Yeah, no, that is fascinating. So you're starting to see some positive signs. You're starting to see uh, the uh, some places around the country kind of slowly start to open back up. Uh, fill me in on the uh, – I was trying to listen to Tate Reese's presser uh, Friday before our show, but obviously I got there a little after 2.30, so I didn't catch all of it. So, like, what is the difference now that we're under now than we were? Like, dumb question, but, like, what is, what is, what is Mississippi's current state? Honestly, not much different, uh, especially for, for you and I. But uh, parks and stuff uh, are, are going to be open as long as you're practicing social distancing. Um, outdoor activities, like they close down lakes and parks and walking trails for the most part. And, and those are all going to be back open. Um, like retail stores, non-essential businesses are going to be allowed to open as long as they, um, take measures into place, like only opening up to 50% capacity and, and things like that. So really not that much different. You're not going to be able to go to the bar for another few weeks, it seems, but, um, it's like a, I just want a haircut. Can I can I make that happen? Like that's really the only reason I asked this question because it's getting mulletish back here. Dude, cut it yourself. I, I don't want to do that because I know I'm going to do a horrible <laughs> job. I, I, I that's precisely the opposite. Like I would. Uh, do you see Brooks Brooke, Kepka's haircut? 
No, I have not. Is it? Oh, actually, I think I did see a picture. This is bad, isn't it? Oh yeah, he had uh, uh, Jenna do his hair. Isn't that her name? Jenna Sims, I think. Um, and he was wearing a, a beanie, and she was recording, and she walked up and took it off, and it's man, it's terrible. Yeah, I mean, I would man bun it before I uh, I let myself cut my hair. I just so here's I, the exact language. Um, retailers uh, are allowed to open as long as they take preventative measures, including 50% capacity, allowing for social distancing, encouraging every patron to wear masks. Healthcare facilities will be open to resume what is considered elective procedures. And if you read about the electric procedure or elective procedures. Uh, some people have been delaying things that they have really needed, uh, so it's good that they're getting the opportunity to get that back. Otherwise, it's basically about the same. Well, that's good. You're starting to see some positive signs and things. Uh, like getting back to normal feels like a dumb thing to say, but at least like starting to kind of uh, get active again, which is good. But I think that's about all we had for today. Uh, we'll be back at it on Wednesday. Borky and I will be on the radio this afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, 3 to 6 p.m. Tune in if you wish. Uh, remind you one more time, as things do kind of start to slowly back open up, go see Greg. Check him out at LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. It's grilling season. No better place than to get meat if you're in the Oxford area than LB's at University Avenue. They've got steaks, custom cuts, all kinds of sausages. Greg will go hook you up when you're in there if you're telling the listener of the show he will know you mean business uh we appreciate greg sponsoring the show local businesses need you now more than ever greg's powered through this like a champ and when things get back to normal he'll be back giving us football picks and uh serving up the meat like none of this ever happened but go check him out they've got all kinds of specials he's got some ready-made dishes to go that you can pop in the oven and eat the meatloaf is delicious i would highly recommend trying that but uh go check him out lb's university avenue across from Kroger. Borky and I will be back at it on Wednesday. Again, radio this afternoon if you'd like to tune in. But uh, thanks for uh, tuning in for another Monday show, and we will catch you on Wednesday. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.